This is an ABC podcast. Is the earth moving under your feet right now? What was happening just now? Well, it's still happening. My microphone is shaking. I'm <laughs> just really excited to see you back. It is, really. It's like a little dog. Yeah. You've come back from home and it's just like, I'm shaking. I can't believe she's back. On. Hello, Zan. Hello, Miff. Hello, nice to see you. Oh my God, it's been three weeks. Three weeks. How, how much has happened? How was your holiday? Uh, it was great. I had some good time out. I was still a bit connected, you know, because yeah. TV show was running on and so I was like on the socials. But I did listen to nothing but the ambient chill playlist on Spotify, completely unironically. I just oh, felt really? like my life was a day spa for a good week. Why not? I swam in the ocean. Oh. I rested. I read. I'm going to bang on about one of the books that I read. Heaven. And I had a great time. Yay. I thought of you a lot. I fully white lotused it. I went to a resort in Phuket yeah. and I did not leave the resort. And when I was leaving, driving out to go to the airport, I was actually <laughs> driving through. I was like, oh, that, that place was just up the road. I yeah. could have walked there, have but walked. I did, decided not to. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, look, you can always go back. You loved it, go back. I will go back, and I needed that. I needed just to completely just drop out. But I was watching you absolutely in a flurry all across the country, That's... launching That's... your best-selling book. Thank you for saying best-selling. I'm not sure it is. Time of my it, life. It was pretty good for the first <laughs> week. Thank you, Bang Fam, for getting on board the pre-sales. That was great. And I think it's still going really well. It's it's, it's a whole new world. Number I, one. I don't really understand how it all works. But it's, yeah, it's going very, very well. <laughs> and I'm having an absolute ball going around the country and meeting everybody. And it's amazing how many people listen to Bang On, too. Yay. Who have Bang come Fam on turning out. up. Bang Fam are turning up and we love you. I love you. It's been unreal. Like, it's I've, I'm just been totally overwhelmed by the response. So, yeah, it's good. I'm so not surprised. It's good. I'm going to be talking to you about the book as well at the Wheeler Centre oh, yeah. in November in a couple of weeks too. That's so true. Um, Book tour continues. Book tour continues. I'm getting all my friends on board. It's great. I know. <laughs> Um, I saw you had Rosie in Sydney as Rosie well. Rosie Beaton, Beaton in Sydney who used to broadcast on Triple J. Yeah, it was gorgeous. It was like a it was like a family reunion, really. It was beautiful, absolutely Unreal. beautiful. And your television show, Take Five, is going extremely well. Yeah, finished up this week. You must be pleased. I'm very very excited. Yeah, I think that you would know this from making things. It's like when you make things, they take a long time. You get really inside it. You make a lot of decisions. You see lots of different versions of it. And at the end of it, you're kind of like, I think this is good. You're not even sure, though, really, but you're not by sure the end because you're so you've close seen it, to it so much. Yeah. yeah. So to see it go out into the world and everybody to love it, it's just been phenomenal and yeah. really emotional and I'm super proud. And thank you to everyone who's turned up. I think that the last time that we spoke, I was sort of talking about the pre-party anxiety mm. of like pushing it out there and wondering if anybody was going to turn up and watch. And yeah. you did turn up. So thank you to all the Bang fam that tuned in and, and watched it. And um, yeah. Hope you've been enjoying it, whether you've been watching it on Tuesdays or watching it on iview. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So we've got a lot to talk about. And before we get into mm. the topics of the week, the topics du jour, mm. um, I just want to do a bit of a catch up because it seems remiss to not talk about a couple of things that happened while we were on break. I'm talking about the hot chook bag. I'm going to file this under fashion. It even is though- fashion. It is fashion. <laughs> I would wear. I would use. I would wear. It is a handbag that has been embroidered and crafted. Uh, in fact, I think even crocheted was the material to look like a Coles hot chook bag 
and it is extraordinary from an artist whose name is Emma Buswell. I don't know if she's Bang fan, but she should be. Please invite her if you know her because she sounds like <laughs> one of us. She's made a bag um, and uh, she's called the Coles Chicken Bag Iconic, which it is, because mm. we know it more more sort of broadly as the Bachelor's Handbag. Are you serious? Yeah. I've never heard of it. Have you never before? heard of it? The roast chook in a bag. It's perfect. It's called the Bachelor's Handbag. <laughs> but what she's done is now elevated it into contemporary art, but also fashion. <laughs> And she won a prize, the Jundalup Invitation Art Prize. $25,000. 25K yeah. for the bird in the bag, which is a handbag. She's called it the sometimes luxury handbag and other suburban fables. <laughs> Can I just point out, I don't know if you're aware of this, it's actually made from rendering down the mm. chicken fat from the Coles roast chicken with roast oh. vegetables and boiling cabbage to make different dyes. So the colours you're seeing in that handbag, which has been crocheted, I think it's a bunch of glass beads. Yeah. The dyes actually come that's, from rendering that's amazing. an actual Coles that's hot That's amazing, chook. but also too far. Like, ugh. Imagine the smell. It's art. Imagine the smell it's of fashion. it. It's fashion. I love it. It's fashion. But imagine the smell. That is suffering for your art, uh, rendering down Coles hot chook. Oh, no. I reckon it's – look, Emma's just gone right on, I love a, I love a hot chook. It's an easy thing for when friends come over, just pop out the hot chook. Yeah. Whack up a salad. I still do it. I'm just going to make a bit of bit of art on the side with yep. the, the rendering down of the scraps of the hot chook. You know what I want to see as an accompaniment? And I think that she did have a couple of hands surrounding it, maybe a picture of some hands, but I would go the Coles hot chook handbag and then the uh, pre-cut sa- bag of salad, the yeah. coleslaw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as, oh, yes. As a purse, maybe to go inside yeah. the handbag and, and, know, and finish it off with that. You know what you could have too? Do you remember when we were little we used to get the – Packets of chips and I don't think we can anymore because they're made out of different products. You put them in the oven, yes. twisties in the Shrink oven them. and then turn them into earrings. Oh, my goodness. Everybody over the age of 35 fashion. is just screaming right now. Yes. <laughs> Teeny tiny little packets of twisties. On your ears. So good. So good. You can't do it anymore because it's all plastic. Why don't you see those on Etsy anymore? Surely there's got to be some vintage twisty earrings somewhere out there. There has to be. Someone send me a link on Etsy because that's exactly where it would live if yeah. you found them because I want to get back involved in that. Yeah. Now, the food trend continues with the other things mm. that we missed while we're away. And I'm not on TikTok, as you know, but I did hear, of course, through the grapevine because the cream rises to the top mm. or more specifically the butter. butter. This butterboard trend. Look, <laughs> uh I don't even know where to start with this. Can we explain it for any Bang fam who saw it and were just like, yeah. what is happening? I love butter and I do profess that I layer it on my toast like cheese. Big fan of butter. Now, I've so, I think I've said this to you before, but my Danish friend Suna, he calls it tooth butter when you mm. do that because it's so thick that you make indentations. Yes. The only way to have <laughs> butter. The only way to have butter. But this is disgusting, ladies and gentlemen. This is utterly disgusting. Justine Doiron, I think, Justine Snacks on TikTok was the one who popularised this technique from um, – Okay, these are the details. I don't know anything about these people. James Beard award-winning chef Joshua McFadden. Anyway, who are these people? She posted it on TikTok, and what it is is basically butter slapped on a breadboard mm. and then handed out. So instead of using your knife to pop the butter on at your leisure, or on a piece of bread, yeah. or cr- even cracker, yeah, you have to dip it in to this 
disgusting butterboard, and they have the audacity to call it a charcuterie board. No, as well, a charcuterie is meats. It's cold meat. Well, they've added it with a bit of like anything from lemon zest to bacon to fresh flowers. Nah. This sounds disgusting. It is disgusting. Butter doesn't have enough flavour to eat on its own with just some sprinkles of something else. Yeah, nah, nah. Oh, well, it does actually because I love butter. I will, I will disagree with you on that. <laughs> it's delicious. Do you scoop butter out with a spoon and just go? No, go ham? no, no, no. <laughs> nothing like that. It's got to, it's got to be with something else. But just the butter, it's unnecessary. It's, it's already in a plastic box. Yeah. We don't need to pop it out on a board. It's not. It's not beautiful. It's not a beautiful thing. No. It's a beautiful tasting it's a thing. Smear. But yeah, it doesn't need any of this extra kind of curricular activity around it. Don't don't fuck with my butter. <laughs> Just leave it like that. Have some salt on it. That's all you need. That is the beauty of butter. Let it live and be what it is. Can I admit something to you? And I feel like this story is going to make people think that I am a millionaire, but I just want to preface it by saying this was one of the greatest moments of my life that will never be repeated. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, three years ago now, right before the pandemic, I boarded a flight and at the gate when I was scanning my boarding pass, it went eh, eh, and the person on the other side said, Ms. Rowe, we've upgraded you to first class. First class. First class. I've never been there. Tell me about this mythical land. It was one of the greatest flights of my life. Mm. I barely slept because I wanted to experience everything. Yeah. I drank a whole bottle of champagne for breakfast before we landed in Sydney. Why not? But I also ate everything that I could, everything on the menu, because I knew that this would never happen again. I do that regardless of being in first class or not. (laughs) I eat everything on the plane just because it's on the plane. So in the morning after, it was a flight from Doha to Sydney. So it was around 15 hours and I'd eaten all my meals. I had a little kip. I'd watched, you know, Aladdin. Did, did you have a shower in your room? There was no shower, oh. but there was a very big bathroom. That's great. Which they cleaned after every use. Oh, really? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. That is ridiculous. It was insane. In the morning, I was like, all right, what have I not had? And, mm-hmm. you know, we were coming into land like any other class of airline would be like, I can't serve you food. We're about to land in 20 minutes. And you're like, no, give me more. Quick. I asked for a cheese board. <laughs> no way. I asked for a cheese board and on the cheese board were a handful of cheeses, but there was a swirl of something and I was like, oh, this looks like a soft cheese. And it was butter and I ate the butter as though it was cheese. Yes. yes. So this butter board has deep connections to an experience <laughs> that I had and I will say then and I will say now, you cannot eat butter as though it's cheese. It does not belong on a cheese board. It does not belong on a cheese board. You are so <laughs> correct. Butter board in the bin. I had drunk a whole bottle of champagne though. So oh, you deserve that cheese board. You deserve everything. <laughs> that is so good. It's wild. That is wild. That doesn't happen anymore. You never get upgrades. No. It'll never happen again. No. But I'll always have it. Yeah. I'll always have the butterboard. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Bang On is your place for music, art, life and stuff. It's the Mm. capture of the week that was, and there's been a lot of fun stuff this week. Mm. James Corden, who, before we get into this news story about how he was banned and then unbanned from Balthazar, which is a quite famous New York restaurant. Yeah. Can I ask you, what are your feelings on James Corden? James Corden does a Tonight Show in the in the US, which is, I don't know if it's that popular, but he did that singing thing in the car Carpool with all his karaoke. artists and, and that was quite big. Mm. Probably more of a viral reputation than a whole show reputation, mm. I feel. I've never got a vibe that he's 
a difficult or or a bad guy, and he was on a UK drama, Ned and Stacey, for many many years. Very oh, which pop- I've never watched. Very popular character. So he seems like a really all round nice guy. He's conquered the US market. You know, go, oh, go for it, James. But there's always been this underlying talk that he's a bit of a prick. <laughs> I don't know where Is it, it the comes Ellen from. thing as well, where it's like you're super nice on screen, but mm. what are you actually off screen? And when you see stuff like this, yeah. everyone goes like vultures mm. to a carcass, this ready to tear new. it apart. This has been going for years about James Corden, this little murmuring that he is just a piece of work. And I don't know whether or not that is the case. No confirmation whatsoever. But to be basically banned from a restaurant, Balthazar's, which has taken all comers for uh, for decades mm. in New York City to be banned from that restaurant. I mean, that's a pretty extraordinary achievement. And not only banned, but the owner of the restaurant uh, posted about the experience <laughs> on Instagram. And what can I say is one of the most amazing phrases I've ever heard. In his post, he called Corden a tiny cretin of a oh, man and the most language. abusive customer to my Balthazar servers since the restaurant opened 25 years ago. Now, if you're wondering what his crimes were, apparently he uh, showed a hair to the manager of Balthazar mm. after eating the main course. He had finished the meal and then he showed the hair. I That's mean, we've all tried that on, haven't yeah, we? But you also, can't keep eating the meal and then show the hair. Also, you show it at the start if there's a problem. People who are rude to weight stuff, though. Yeah. Are like Especially now. Exactly. That, and to pull out a hair, like a hair is not going to kill you. No. You're not going to get sick yeah. from one hair. Build up the immunity, I say. Look, if it was a handful of pubes, you'd go, <laughs> That's an issue. But it's not. It's somebody's hair that's just fallen out of their head. Unless you want the entire staff to be wearing shower caps. No. No. Don't be rude to wait staff. Don't be rude in restaurants. And that I think that's the lowest form of rudeness. He was nasty. He asked for the a full round of drinks this second and also take care of our drinks so far. So he was very pushy. And there was another instance. That wasn't the only instance. Apparently he went there another time. His wife ordered an egg yolk omelette, whatever mm. that is, with Gruyere cheese and salad. I just have a whole egg, really. Seriously, what is wrong? <laughs> Why can't you have all Well, clearly there's some issues with the whites of the egg because he called the server and said there's a little bit of egg white mixed in with the egg yolk. Uh, And so the kitchen remade the dish, but then they unfortunately sent out the wrong side and he was not (laughs) having it. Apparently he was yelling like crazy, you can't do your job, you can't do your job. Maybe I should go into the kitchen and cook the omelette myself. Well, maybe you should, James, or just stay home, (laughs) you rude man. He has been unbanned, though. How do you get unbanned? Well, apparently he called Keith McNally, the owner of the restaurant, apologised profusely. Of course he did. And the owner has said, I strongly believe in second chances. So, James Corden, would you ever actually go back to Balthazar? Because every single patron in the restaurant will be watching you like a hawk to see how you behave. Absolutely. (laughs) It'd be performative eating. Absolutely. Well, he deserves that. I think, again, anyone who's rude to wait staff, they deserve to be uncomfortable in every restaurant they go to. So no surprises about James Corden if you have feelings about him in hearing about these. But, of course, I was very surprised to see that the Olivia Wilde, Harry Styles story continues. We've kind of spoken about this and we have acknowledged that the undermining of a female director and storyteller is feels a bit yuck in terms mm. of the lead-up to Don't Worry Darling. The film's out now. The stories continue. The nanny that worked for Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis has come out and spoken publicly about her experiences mm. with them, including revealing that the discovery of the affair was via an old, not used in a very long time, Apple Watch. Oh. Jason saw some messages pop up. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about salad dressing. <laughs> 
<laughs> because this, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty and the gross interest in other people's yeah, private people lives. People break up all the time, but the thing that has captured the internet's <laughs> imagination. And look, it's probably it's probably very sad, and we don't want to buy into any of that. But basically, the story is she was leaving Jason, and he wasn't happy because she was leaving with a salad that contained her special dressing. And this special dressing is obviously the thing that got Harry Styles over the line. I would suspect. It must be an amazing salad dressing. Whatever that special special dressing is. Special dressing is not a euphemism, no. by the way. No, and it should be. <laughs> like, it absolutely should be, but she, like whatever's going on. And so everybody's trying to work out what could be, what could possibly be in this special dressing. And um, it's just been absolutely hilarious, some of the things that have gone down online because of the special dressing. But the closest we've come from doing a deep dive on Olivia Wilde is to find out that she once posted something from a Nora Ephron novel that was containing the recipe to a dressing, which was mix two tablespoons of grey poupon mustard, Mm. whatever that is, Mm. poupon mustard with two tablespoons good red wine vinegar, then whisking constantly with a fork, slowly add six tablespoons olive oil until the vinaigrette is thick and creamy. That, my friends, I'll try not to read is the closest that we have to Olivia Wilde's special dressing that somehow uh, ensnared Harry Styles. I, I love a good salad. Yeah. I want to find this dressing. I want to find this dressing too. If this is the dressing that wins over Harry Styles, I want to find the dressing. I know. Well, the world wants to find the dressing. <laughs> and Olivia, being the classy, sophisticated woman that she is, has not has not said anything and will not say anything. And, of course, it's, you know, it's all far more difficult than that than, than all of this implies. But she's um she's been very dignified throughout this horrible saga. But seriously, share the recipe. Come on. It's got to be something <laughs> good in it. <laughs> it's been a weird week. I mean, it always is, often oh, is. But we're here to make sense of it. Mm. And one of the kind of funniest but also strangest stories of the week was weirdly from the Bureau of Meteorology, which I'll say out front is the bomb, Mm. my favourite app. I tried to access it while I was overseas and it's geo-blocked and I felt a loss. I really wanted to see what was going on. Oh, you wanted to see what was going on at home or where you were because the bomb wouldn't cover you where you were. I wanted to see what was going on at home because, of course, this times with the floods, there's been a lot of things going on, particularly in Victoria, also through New South Wales, Mm. um, a lot of dangerous floods. And I wanted to see what was happening when I was far away from home. And it is interesting that in the week that these floods have been threatening a lot of homes, that this is the week that the Bureau of Meteorology have revealed that they're trying to go for a rebrand. They emailed media outlets to update their style guides and said, can you please stop calling it the Weather Bureau or the BOM, Mm. even though the app is called BOM Weather. Still. They want to be called the Bureau of Meteorology in the first instance or just the Bureau. I mean, there's a lot of bureaus. The bureau. <laughs> the bureau. It sounds like a Netflix show. It does, doesn't it? Isn't there a Netflix show I called I feel the like, bureau? oh, there is, there is. It's a Nordic, um, uh, uh, I think it's one of those Nordic dramas. Maybe they're pitching for a season. Oh <laughs> Meteorologists, the bureau. I mean, this me- is the first Meteorologists step. are pretty, Hot. 
pretty hot and have <laughs> uh, like you know a lot. They, I mean, imagine they're Nostradamus is what they are. But also imagine their party chit chat. Like we reckon <laughs> we've got small talk covered. They've got the weather covered and covered. That was a bad joke as well. Me saying meteorologists are hot because hot and cold. So <laughs> I see what you mean. I'm trying to undermine meteorologists' talent. No, they're they're very very talented. But yeah, they've gone with the bureau, mm. of which I mean there are a million bureaus. I see. I can't even say it. I can't <laughs> spell it. Can't and someone on Twitter came through with a great message when this happened. And look, rebrands are fine. You're allowed to rebrand, but I think the general vibe is number one. Georgia on Twitter has written no. Number two, <laughs> I can't spell bureau. Number three, learn to love yourself. Bomb. <laughs> it's so true, isn't learn it? Learn to love yourself. Yeah, they are one of the greatest brands in Australia. And I think that they've just shot themselves in the foot here. We'll continue to call them the bomb. As Sammy J did, I just wanted to play a little bit of this. I don't know if you heard it, Miff, but Sammy J, who is a wonderful comedian, he hosts Breakfast on ABC Melbourne, and he writes funny songs like this one where he was paying tribute to the bomb. She can show you a radar and let you refresh it. Percentage of rain and the time you might get it. Sunrise and sunset and all in between She acts like a bureau, but she's always the bomb to me Since I heard that, I've had Billy Joel stuck in my head. Oh, <laughs> Billy! She can tell you the wind <laughs> I do like checking the wind. A tribute to the bomb. I'll put that in the show notes if you want to listen to the whole story. Beautiful piece from Sammy J. Keep it like that. Keep it like the bomb. (laughs) We love the bomb. But she never backs down If the temperature's wrong She just changes her mind Thank you, Bomb. Good to be back in your zone again and not being geo-blocked anymore. You will always be the bomb to me. I'm just interested how they've decided you're not allowed to access your weather outside of your country. Geo-blocked? Is there is there kind of like IP on your local weather, like intellectual property? You've you got to pay clearance rates to share your weather. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this weather is not for you. Is the earth moving under your feet right now? What was happening just I don't know. then? Well, it's still happening. My microphone is shaking. <laughs> just really excited to see you back. It is, really. It's like a little dog. Yeah. You've come back from home and it's just like, I'm shaking. I can't I believe so she's excited. back. Yeah, I thought we were having an earthquake there for a minute. That's it's weird. Just, I'm not touching anything, but it's shaking. Anyway. Again, I'm not going to read anything into that. <laughs> hey, there was an interesting piece this week that I wanted to talk about, and, and you also raised this as well, so I'm really glad, if why so many musos are cancelling tours. Risks, rising costs, and relentless demands – is the title of this piece that Eilish Gilligan has published mm. on The Guardian. And I think it's worth talking about because you and I, are, you know, we work within the music industry among a bunch of different things, and this feels like the loudest conversation happening right now. Mm. And I'm not sure whether punters um, who go to shows, who love music, who maybe go and see one show a year sort of understand what's happening in the scene because we all had this kind of idea that, after all the lockdowns, the quarantines, everything, mm. we'd open up, we'd be able to support musicians, see live music, gather together again, enjoy that experience. But we haven't really bounced back the way that we thought we would, have we? No. It's been really tough. Yeah, for for musos who rely on making money through tours, 
it's just almost turning out to be not worth it. So many have recently cancelled. When a group like, say, Animal Collective, who are huge Mm. internationally and here in Australia as well, can't make money off tours, you know that there's something quite wrong. Mm. And Eilish points out, you know, it's pretty basic actually. Flights, hugely expensive, especially in Australia, for Australian artists. It's even made more difficult. These festivals, because of COVID, because of major weather situations have been cancelled. So ticket sales are very, very slow. People are hesitant. And so you can't get people along to gigs initially. So they can't even bank on whether or not it's going to work. Yeah. Therefore, risk is a huge factor. Like it's a whole lot of things playing into one very specific thing, which is artists are still struggling. And artists are at the bottom of the pile in terms of who gets paid. that, That they, you know, we're all getting along and trying to support it's it's not working and it's not enough. Yeah. All of those things, all the cost of living pressures that everyone is feeling is is impacting music on both sides. You know, you've got artists who are having to pay more to tour, um, a huge amount more, but also punters who can't necessarily afford the tickets as much because they're paying for everything else. And there's so many artists who were just sitting there waiting to tour again, release albums, launch albums, all that stuff for two years, and now they're all touring. Like if you, if you look at the touring calendar over summer, there is so much on and it's incredible. Mm. But you, as a punter, you kind of got to make a choice. It's like, okay, I can afford to go to this festival and this show, but that's it. I can't go to all of it. But also compounding all of this is, I think, a really important conversation and something that is a difficult conversation, but I'm so glad that musicians are having, which is they're being really open about the mental impact of the business that they do, of Mm. the job that they do, because being a musician is a job. It's not a hobby. It's not a side hustle. It is a job. It's Mm. a job that sustains the economy and also feeds all of us as humans. They are entertainers. They're songwriters. It's a job. And people like Sampa the Great, Gang of Youths, Mm. um, the Avalanches, even Justin Bieber have said because of illness, mental or otherwise, and because of the stresses in touring and the fact that this is just going to decimate them, they just can't go out and they're being open about that. Santa Gold wrote an amazing post where she hasn't toured for years. She just released her first album in years and she had a huge tour planned and then just pulled it and gave a really raw and honest account of why and basically said, I just need to protect my health, my mental health, my physical health. And also, I can't operate in what they call an economic reality that does not work. Yeah. And I think that for years and years, artists have presented a side of themselves to us that makes it feel like it's this incredible world of where dreams are made, where you tour around, where you travel, where you get to live your wildest fantasies. Mm. But the real- reality of that on the other side, and particularly in 2022, is so much harsher. Yeah. And I think that being having them speak about that publicly, you can just see it's this domino effect of other people speaking up. And I hope that there is an empathy from audiences in understanding that and really understanding that it's not just the reality of what we have now, but you've got artists who are coming off two to three years of having their livelihood decimated, questioning what they do. So many people have left the industry on stage and off. And then coming back to it and going, oh, wait, the promise of this bounce back doesn't exist anymore. In fact, it's harder than ever. Can you imagine? No, no. It would make you question again exactly what it is that you're doing. And, you know, the artists don't know where they stand either because they haven't had that relationship with their audiences for so long. Yeah. So you can take the risk. Even if you're enthusiastic about it, you can take the risk. But there's no guarantees any of it's going to pay off. 
and that's so unfortunate. There need to, there needs to be better systems in place in terms of insurance for artists who have to cancel, whether it be for illness or otherwise, weather, whatever. There's got to be some more safeguards in place. Otherwise, the industry will fall apart. And what do we do then? What do we do when the music goes away? You know, I think we take that for granted, that it will always be there, that people, because they have a compulsion to create, they always will create. But if you can't make a life, or in fact it's impacting your life in such a negative way, then you, maybe you choose not to do that or choose not to do it in a way that you've always done. And that's a loss for all of us. Yeah. There's a couple of different ideas around this. I know that there's a musician's union who are fighting for a minimum wage of $250 per gig. I mean, Which that says a lot, doesn't it? Anyway. Some bands get paid 100 bucks a gig yeah. um, when they're put on a bill. So and you think about the travel, the practice, mm. the everything that goes into creating that few hours on stage is way more than that, 100 bucks. Um, but also with the, you know, removal of support from governments during the pandemic. Um, I think this is a conversation that needs to be continued to, to be had. We'll put that in the show notes. It's a really great piece from Eilish. Sure and there's is. plenty of pieces that are kicking around. And even if you have a cursory glance at your favourite artists on socials, you'll see they're all talking about this at the moment too. Yep. On the festivals front, we are actually going to be at a festival Yay! next weekend. This is the first Bang On Live we are doing in how many um, years uh, since pre-pandemic, the before times. Yeah, I think three, four years. I reckon it's three years. It feels like three years. I can't even remember the last one. Was it in, in Melbourne? Might have been the Brisbane Powerhouse. Brisbane Powerhouse. Yeah. So we're heading to the Barossa for the first time in beautiful South Australia and we are going to be hanging out at a festival called Grapes of Mirth. It is an amazing two-day festival. We're going to be on the Sunday. Uh, amazing lineup, including Reese Nicholson, Judith Lucy, Tom Gleeson, uh, Nazim Hussein's there. Melissa Leong's going to be cooking there. There's going to be obviously wine time. It is literally on a vineyard. And we're going to be hanging out with you during the first ever Bang On Live in South Australia. If you can head along, um, we will be there on Sunday, Arvo, and we're so excited. Come and say hello. We'd we're going to be that. in the barrel room. Are we? Yeah, do you reckon we'll just have a hose to put the barrels, <laughs> just topping ourselves up? Like the classy ladies oh, we are. I love it. Yeah. In a barrel room. Yeah. So that's just going to smell like fortified wine yeah. in there. <laughs> It'll be a contact high bang on episode. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> love it. So that's happening at the end of uh, next week. It's a long weekend in Victoria as well for the Cup Long Weekend if you um, are keen to come along. What are you banging on about this week? I am banging on about a brand new television show that um, I think many, many people are discussing at the moment, and it is pure joy in the best possible way. It stars Sharon Horgan and was co-written by her, who is an extraordinary actor. She's in many, many things. She's been in Catastrophe with Rob Delaney, various other television shows. She's the best. I just adore her. Everything she's in I want to watch, and she is co-creator of Bad Sisters, which is an Irish television series about a whole bunch of sisters who are perhaps, I'm not sure, I'm not not quite through the whole thing because it's actually quite long. The episodes go for about an hour and that's a long time mm. for a Netflix series. But whether or not they're plotting to kill one of their sister's terrible partners, I'm yet to find out. But it is just magnificent and I'm loving it. I, so. I watched the whole thing. I watched the season finale last Friday. I think there's – is there 10 episodes or 8 episodes? I don't know. It just feels like it's going on forever, <laughs> which is great because I don't want it to end. It's so good and it holds it. It holds yeah. that suspense of like what is going on. 
who did it. You who know. could kill him? I mean, they all want to. And that's set up early. We're not giving away any spoilers. No. JP, the husband of Grace, it's horrific. dies early and he is a horrible man. They call him the prick and mm. he really is. Um, but who killed him and how he died is a, a mystery that is held till the very, very end. And it is so brilliant. And you know what? The other thing that's brilliant about this series is not only do I want to jump off the 40 foot, which is the big swimming hole that they go and mm. jump into. I can't imagine how freezing it is, but I want to be invigorated by that place. I want to live in all of their houses, yes. which is incredible. Bono's daughter, Eve Hewson, is in it. She plays Becca, the youngest sister. Oh, you're joking. That's Bono's daughter. Oh. She's incredible. They're all incredible. But to top it off, PJ Harvey did the soundtrack. She did. Who by fire? Who by water? Who in the sunshine? Who in the nighttime? There's a couple of covers, including this amazing one of Leonard Cohen. And then the rest of it is actually, you know, a composed soundtrack that she worked with Tim Phillips on. Tim Phillips has done the soundtracks for Shameless and yes. for Entourage. I got to tell you about this because my mate Sos told me this story and I was just like, what are you talking about? The way that they actually made the soundtrack was that they wanted to use PJ's vocals in every way as a big part of it because they wanted to, you know, for it to be a very feminine story, which it is. It's a really feminine story. So they devised this method of working where they created this vast sample library of PJ singing all sorts of different things, howls, whoops, cackles, whispers, scales of notes, note bends, vocal slides, all of that kind of stuff. And they also assembled melodic lines of Irish poetry between it too. And then they built it into this massive sample instrument so her voice would be available on demand for the scoring of the production. So throughout the soundtrack, and I'm totally going to go back and listen to Mm. it now, you've got all these little PJ moments, which would be through the series as well, but you don't realise that's PJ and these kind of feminine-like hoops and hollers and cackles and sounds to create this universe sonically. Oh, wow. And that's all PJ Harvey. And the best thing about this is that they called this library of sounds the Polytron. I love that. <laughs> so good. love that. How, what episode are you up to? I don't know. I think it's six. So I've got a couple more somewhere in <laughs> you there. You are so on a book tour right now. Yeah. It's What's so my good. name? Where yeah. am I today? Um, What's happening now? That is true. That is, And this has been a lovely little kind of break from all of that when I'm on the plane. It's wonderful. Highly recommend. What are you banging on about? I'm banging on about a story of Sisters 2, which is kind of fitting. And this is one of the books that I finished reading while I was on my little break in Thailand. It's the latest book by Peggy Frew, who is an amazing writer. I've read a couple of her books, House of Sticks and Islands. This is her fourth novel, I think. And Peggy, for those of you who don't know, also plays in the band Art of Fighting as well. She's an amazing novelist. This new book, Wildflowers, is about three sisters. Um, the younger sister has always kind of outshone the two other sisters. The older sister is definitely the most responsible. And then the middle sister, Nina, is 37 years old and has been behaving somewhat erratically. And you kind of, similarly to Bad Sisters, it jumps around in sort of timelines a lot and you are unpacking what happened and how it happened and how they got to this place. What happened to these three sisters? Right. Why are they so fucked up? Great. And it's brilliant. Fantastic. She's so good. I love Peggy Frew and um, she's just such an amazing writer. All of her books have been phenomenal. So if you're looking for a great read and you're loving sister stories, Wildflowers, highly recommend. Brilliant. Here we are. Here we are. We're done. Done.
That's it. We're done. We're back. We're back. Um, it was good. It's good to be back. You look so wide. I love that you're reviewing yourself now. Self-review? No, I know. Reflections? It's good. It's good to be back, I was saying. Not me. Well, I see you next week. Will you be in? Will we be in the same space? When you know you're going to be on another book tour next week? Um, I don't think so. What is time? What, what is, is time? What am I doing? Who am I? All right. Well, well, those things answered next week on Bang On. Exactly. <laughs> see you next week. See ya. Bye. Hi, I'm Jonathan Green and I'm in Paris with a burning question. Taxi! How many Parisians live within five minutes of a bakery? Oh, really? That's extraordinary, thanks. This and other secrets of the world revealed in a new season of Return Ticket, the travel podcast that takes you on journeys of the mind. In this new season, we're off to Paris, Venice, Kuala Lumpur, Las Vegas and Timbuktu. Yes, that's right, Timbuktu. Where even is that? Return Ticket. Subscribe on the ABC Listen app.